See, we're right here at the beginning, the threshold of the holidays. And a lot of times, you know, you're expecting the, the, the right kind of sermon for the holidays. And I'm a, one of those guys that will throw you a curveball every now and then. You know, I've got my sermons on Joseph and Mary, and we may get to them. You know, I've got my sermon on what you think the wise men were all about and the stable and all of that good stuff. And, and I've got one for that day too. But I thought to myself, how should we start the holidays? And I took an unusual text today because it's an Old Testament text that talks about the condition of people, some people, during the holidays. And I entitled this, The Battle Underneath the Surface. It's about a man named Naaman. It's going to be about what's going on, not just on the outside, but on the inside. So would you bow your heads and let's ask God to anoint this message this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for another moment where we can talk about the power and the presence of an almighty God. Father, I ask that you touch our hearts and our lives, not just on the outside. Don't just change our behavior on the outside, but God, heal and transform us on the inside. So Father, if there's ones in here that are going through a struggle and the holidays kind of accentuate and bring to the surface that struggle that goes on inside of one's heart. I ask you to be God enough today to touch them in such a supernatural way that they are changed forever. And we give you the praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said... If you have your Bibles, you would turn to 2 Kings chapter 5. And if you don't open your Bible, you can look up here at the screens because I'm going to look back there at that one and the Bible's going to read this. Naaman, the commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor because of him by the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. All right, we'll go with that. That's enough. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carted off a little girl from the land of Israel and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress that my Lord were in the, uh, with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. And the king of Syria said, go now and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went taking with him ten talents of silver... 6,000 shekels of gold and 10 changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read this letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I a God that to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider to see how he is seeking to quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hands over the place and cure the leper. And are not Abana and far par the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in rage. 
But his servant came near and said to him, My father is a great word. Uh, isn't it a great word the prophet has spoken? Will you not do it? And he actually said to you, Wash and be clean. That's good. Let's pray. Father, I ask you for the anointing of the Holy Spirit down to touch the words that go out that now makes preaching powerful. Father, it's more than just the style. It's more than just an ability to communicate. But Father, we need the anointing. We need the Holy Spirit to rest upon your word as we speak it. And I give you the praise and honor in Jesus' name. And everybody said... See, in the very first verse of the chapter, you get introduced to the main character of the entire story. His name is Naaman. You hear a little bit about him. He is brave. He's a general in the uh, Syrian army. He not only is brave, but he has uh, acquired fame through being the source of the strategy and the uh, implementation of battlefield strategy that brought victory to Syria. And the Bible literally says his talents were given to him by the Lord. He had medals. He had the right robes. He had everything going for him except the Bible says he was a leper. Let's read the first verse and it says, Naaman, the commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master, high in favor. Because of him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. See, being a leper, I, I learned some things with studying for this message. I learned, I, I studied some things. Do you realize that every two minutes still on earth somebody is diagnosed with leprosy? Over four million people at this very moment suffer from the same disease that is recorded in the pages of the Bible. Now this disease is, 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 is terminal and it's not an easy Fix. Matter of fact, it's incurable. What happens when somebody contracts leprosy is a bacteria kind of affects them. And I clicked on what, how do you get leprosy? Because just in case I ever go to a place, I wanted to know how I might contract it. It said most of the time through sneezing and coughing. And said if you're exposed long enough, you'll probably get it. So that's what's incredible when I read stories about Mother Teresa being in India around all of the lepers and how she was willing to put herself in peril to be a minister and a witness of Christ and the love of Christ in a moment where someone is being eaten away literally by a disease. Now I thought I was wrong in some of the things about leprosy. I thought that the leprosy deteriorated the skin and stuff and it, it, it caused like fingers and toes to fall off. But that's not really the case. What happens is, is leprosy attacks underneath the skin and it starts to kill your nerves. And you lose things like feeling. Like the nerves in your face, one of the characteristics of leprosy is blindness because how they go blind is they can't protect their eye because the nerve gets damaged that makes you blink. How they lose their fingers and toes. And a lot of times we, we think, man, if I could ever get out from underneath the burden of pain. But what happens in leprosy is leprosy starts to affect the nerves in your hands and especially in your fingers. And you lose the ability to feel pain. Matter of fact, you lose the ability to feel anything in your fingers. So what happens is, is most people would think, man, that's great. I, if I was a carpenter, man, I could hit it my thumb with a hammer and nothing happened. The problem is, is that the thumb still incurs the injury. 
You just don't feel it. And that injured place gets infected. And the infection's the thing that starts to deteriorate and will eventually take one's life. Here is Naaman, and he has all of these medals. He has all of these. He had the right kind of clothes. You know, if he was walking around downtown, he'd have the right suit on. He'd have the right pants on. He'd have the right shoes on. He has his certificates. He has his degrees. He has everything going for him. Matter of fact, if you saw him on the street, he would probably be one of those people that you not knowing all about him, you would walk by him and say, man, I'd trade places with him at any moment. Don't ever be willing to trade places with anybody because God made you you. Just because they got some stuff, doesn't you don't know the burden that they carry sometimes. You know, sometimes I'm out there on the water and I see that big contender go by and I'm in an action craft. And I said, man, I wish I was on that boat. Well, a contender's about $250,000. And I want to be on that boat as long as it's free. But I couldn't imagine having a payment on, a two, on something that I'm floating on that costs more than my house. Can somebody else say amen? amen. But one day. <laughs> one day. <laughs> See, what was going on is when Naaman went home and he got into a position of privacy and he was able to take off some things like his robes, his medals, his, his titles, his prestige, his privilege, his affluence. And he walked into his bathroom and he looked into what we would call a mirror. He saw himself dying one piece at a time. And see, the battle that he, was go that he was fighting was underneath all of the things that you could see on the surface. And his life reminds us a lot of times of people going through holiday moments. It's those people that the holidays, maybe they lost somebody. I got word today before first service that one of the pillars of First Baptist Church, one of the ones that as we were merging together that was part of that eldership, they lost their son, a young man, on Thanksgiving Day because now the reason it took us so long to know is they now live in North Carolina. Can you imagine? And all of a sudden, Christmas is going to be different now. And so when, when we get around people that are broken on the inside, a lot of times the holidays bring that brokenness. They, they're, they're struggling. They don't know how they can conceive having Christmas without that loved one that may have preceded them to heaven. They feel lonely and broken. And, and it's never about, you know, we, there's a great movie, you know, about the Christmas carol. And it's about, you know, you think it's about the stinginess of somebody named Scrooge. But it really wasn't about his stinginess. It was about the stinginess was a symptom of the brokenness he felt alone and you know there's people going through the holiday seasons that are terrified of being alone they feel like on December 25th they're going to be the only one in the room I've got a cure for that in just a moment but the story says that when you are in such a desperate situation do you realize you will take hope in any form any shape in any fashion you are looking for hope anywhere Matter of fact, one of the main characters in this story is a little girl. You don't even get to know her name. See, Naaman, in Bible days, they had servants. It would be like us having somebody that worked for us today. 
And in that day, he must have been a good man and he must have been good to work for because one of his servants, one that was attributed to in one of the battles with Israel, a little girl was taken over into Syria and now her responsibility was to be with his wife. And he must have been such a good person to work for because she says, Oh, my lady, if he were just in Israel, if in Israel we have a prophet named Elisha, he lives in Samaria, and if he lived in Israel, he would literally be able to go to Elisha's house and be healed of an incurable disease. Now, this girl has no title. She has no affluence. But when his wife tells Naaman... All of a sudden, he has an inkling, an inch of hope. And he's willing to run with that hope at all costs. He is willing to go and stand before his king and say, King, I've heard that there is hope in Israel for me. I've heard that there is a prophet, a man that hears the words of God. That's what a prophet means is a man or a woman that hears the words of God and speaks the truth of what God says to them into the world. Amen? And he says, there's a man named Elisha that can't... Do you know, do you have any relationship with the king of Israel? Because in the, king, in the kingdom of Israel, there's this prophet. And if I could just get to Israel, I've got hope of being healed. The king says, I, you know what, I know the king of Israel. And he writes a letter and says, I'm sending my man Naaman to you. And I expect, I have an expectation that there is a cure in Israel for his leprosy. Now this brings us to the awareness of two types of people in the camp of the Lord. There's people that know about God and there's people that know God. I'm going to say that again. There's people that know about God and there are more of those. And the reason there are more of those is because they've become conditioned to let the people up here worship for them. And they're conditioned to allow the person that stands them here to go and experience the presence of God for them to come and tell them what it's like. Don't ever take my experience for yours. Never, I, I'm going to come and I hope that I never have to be responsible for revelation about God to you. I hope I'm confirmation. I hope that I take the word of God and say, you know what, he'll stick closer than a brother and it just confirms that you already know that. Amen? But there's very, there, there is another group that don't only know about him, but know him. And you'll see it in the reactions. See, the way you can figure out, am I a person that knows about God? It's how you, how you experience crisis. We see this in the king of Israel. He gets a letter and a guy. A guy has six, 800 pounds of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothing for whoever can cure him. And he has a letter in his hand and he goes, he is willing to travel all the way from Syria to Israel, stand before the king, says, here's my letter, I'm waiting on my healing. Now you're talking about faith, he don't even know he has faith yet. But he's willing to do something about his situation, he's willing to travel. The king flips out. The king literally is about to have a nervous breakdown because he thinks the king of Syria is trying to start a war. And the reason he thinks he's trying to start a war is he thinks that he has given him an impossible task. And if he has an impossible task that he can't possibly do, he flips out and literally goes like this. I can't believe that the king of Syria sends me a letter to cure an incurable disease. He must want war with me because this is impossible. No man can do this. Am I a god? 
See, because people that know about God, they always measure the magnitude of the crisis by the frailty of their humanity. They're always expecting, what am I going to do? And when the circumstances overwhelm who you are, there's nothing you can do. So they panic. But people that know God, the Elishas of the world, do you see in the text how they reacted differently? The king falls apart. He tears his clothing. That's an act of mourning or grief. He tears his clothes. I don't know what I'm going to do. Elisha goes and sends him a message and says, Why have you turned... This is the paraphrase. And I know I'm online going out and I've got to be careful here. Here's the paraphrase. Get hold of yourself, man. You are somebody. You're the king of Israel. You got people looking at you. Don't fall apart. There's a man there that needs to know there is a prophet in Israel. There's a God that we don't just worship with ritual, but he's real. So get hold of yourself. Quit having an anxiety attack. Stand up and send him to me. Now here's another cool part of this story. The guy's not only willing to go from Syria to Israel, he's willing to go to the thr- from the throne room of the king to the prophet's house to his front door. He says, load up the chariots, boys. We've got to go one more, a little bit further. There's a guy's house in Samaria. He's called for us. And the whole time, can you imagine what's going on in his mind? The whole time he's thinking to himself, I want, this is how he's going to do it. He's going to come out. I, I've got a picture of what he's going to look like. He's going to be like this guy with gray hair because of his wisdom. It's going to be long and flowing. Probably have a beard. He's going to have all the right moves. He's going to come out. He's going to walk over to my chariot. He's going to call upon the name of the Lord. He's going to do his magic. He's going to throw his hands around over the spots of my leprosy. And abracadabra, I'm going to be healed. You ever got mad when God didn't do it the way you thought he should? Because that's not how it happens at all. See, sometimes we build up something in our minds because we are the one frustrated with our circumstance and the pain that is coming from one direction or another. But sometimes you'll realize that God knows more than you and you're trying to treat a symptom when he's trying to cure the problem. I got firsthand experience with that. I went away nine days to Indiana. I had hurt myself. I wish I could tell you that I hurt myself jumping over a a tall building in a single bound. I hurt myself sleeping. (laughs) I got some crazy hard pillow and I didn't even know it. I just knew I slept wrong one night and my neck was hurting and and I, I... you know, I'm a push-through kind of guy. I get on a plane hurting, and in my shoulder, I'm hurting. I'm like, man, I must have done something to my shoulder. Two days into the nine days, I'm like, man, I tore my rotator cuff. I can't hardly move my shoulder. It's hurting. I can't get away from the pain. It is all the time, 24 hours a day. At this point, Dr. Joe's really going to get mad at me. At this point, like in day five, I I haven't slept in two days. I can't sleep because I I can't get away from the pain. I am now taking other people's prescription. Don't do that. (laughs) Don't do that. I'm saying it out loud. Don't do that. But I was willing to find hope anywhere. Anywhere. Because I got scared. You say, why did you take somebody else's prescription? Because I got crazy people in my family. I'm taking ibuprofen. They go, that'll kill your liver. I'm like, okay, I can't take ibuprofen. What do you got? 
I got Darvacet. That sounds good. You try some of that. That's not ibuprofen. Won't kill my liver. <laughs> That's funny. I don't care who you are. <laughs> but don't do that. That's not right. Don't do that. Touch your neighbor and say, don't do that. Let me, let me keep from getting sued. By day eight, I'm coming home on day nine, I call my wife. And Dr. Daryl Rich is a chiropractor. And I'm like, man, my shoulder is hurt, my neck is hurt. I said, call him. I fly in at 2.45. I know he's open till 6. I can't get to a clinic in that time, but maybe he will look at me and whatever appointment he has available, book it. Some of you don't know the magnitude of that. I haven't seen my wife in nine days. And I'm more excited to see Daryl than I am Michelle. <laughs> Something wrong with that. That tells you about my shoulder. I walk into his office and in 10 seconds he goes, it's not your shoulder, you've pinched a nerve in your neck. See, I was wanting relief here, but the source of the issue was in my neck. And he started treating me and I went in at an 8 or a 9 and come out at a 5 and 3 days later I'm good to go. Because he knew the source. See, sometimes we're praying for God to cure our shoulder when he's saying, I got to make you aware that it's not your shoulder, that's the symptom, but there's something going on on the inside. See, a lot of times, beware of people that say, you know what, this whole holiday thing, it's all commercialized and I'm not even going to participate. You're right, it's the truth, it is commercialized. But there may be something going on on the inside. Like maybe you're hurting and maybe you feel alone. And so now you're going to reject the whole idea. See, Citygate, I need you to be looking for people like that. So he gets to the prophet's house, and the prophet don't even come to the door. He sends another dude, his servant, Gehazi. And he says, prophet said, go to the Jordan River, dip down seven times, and you're going to be healed. God bless Shuts the door. Naaman is like, hey man, I've come a long way. I've come from Syria to the king. King couldn't do anything. He brought me to you. And now I'm expecting you to come get me some magic and, I, and, and you have prescribed a miracle. There's a difference between magic and miracle. It's called responsibility and participation. And most people want to come in and use God as a magic, a magician, to make whatever they think is wrong right. But what He wants to be is a miracle source that as you participate with your faith and obedience, a miracle, something impossible can become possible in Jesus' name. Amen? This dude throws a fit. I can say it now because she's not here. I had to go back between the songs and, and minister to Mila Rose because somehow or another she saw me up here and threw a fit. Cried. I went back there in the cry room said, Papa's going to be back. She was like, ah. I held her quiet. I gave her back to her mama. Ah. So I don't know how it turned out. <laughs> but that's what this naming guy was doing, just throwing a fit. The Bible literally says he not only got angry, but he got enraged, threw his stuff at, we'll just go home. Really? Because you ever heard the same thing that somebody else heard, but you heard it different? See, the most powerful persons in this thing is not Elijah or Elisha. 
It's two servants. A girl that said he could, that made motivated hope in a man that had no hope to make him travel to where the source of the hope was, was talked about. And now he's in the chariot. He is riding with a private first class, the chariot driver. He's not an officer. He's just one of the guys. And he's got a big smile on his face. And I could just see Naaman ranting and raving, taking, you know, he didn't do it my way. They didn't call me. They didn't do this. They didn't do that. He didn't do the magic. And the servant goes, what are you talking about, man? Jump for joy. Did you not hear what I heard? He's like, what's wrong with you? Quit smiling. Look, I still got leprosy. Yeah, but the man said you didn't have to. Because the word that he said he heard from the Lord said that if you are willing to be obedient and take off your pride and get off this chariot and get in that dirty water seven times, at the seventh time, the word of the Lord said you'll come up clean. And you're mad about it. He's like, man, wasn't the word of God great? And he's like, no, I hated the sermon. Those songs, they weren't about me. Yeah, but did you hear what the man said? You can be healed. And then he says one of the most incredible things. Aren't you going to do it? What's going to hold somebody back from a miracle today? Somebody seeing you? Because you're going to have to be seen. But I'm going to do what the servant did. Aren't you going to do it? For the hope of why you traveled all this way? Why'd you even come today? To be in the presence of God. And in the presence of God is the provision for whatever you need. Amy, if you'll get ready. You and the team. And he looks in the face of his superior officer. And have you ever heard something from somebody else and you knew they were right? He's like, I was so caught up in him doing it the way I had it in my head that I forgot what he said. He didn't do the magic. He says, stop this chariot. And he stops the chariot. And the man that had leprosy, that had it all covered up with his armor and his robes, started to take it off piece by piece. Because if he was willing to become vulnerable enough to show the real him, he was obedient enough to get healed. Because once he took off the armor and once he took off the outer robes, everybody could see the issue. He's a leper. He goes down. What do you think it was? 15, 20, 30 feet? Because the servant says, right there's the river. Aren't you going to do it? He walks down in the mud. And the Jordan River is an ugly river. And he squats down in the water. And takes muddy water and rinses himself. And stands up. Dip number one. 
still lepers. Dips down again, rinses himself, comes up, still a leper. This is probably where the voices start. This is stupid. This is insane. This is crazy. You're acting like a fool. There's nothing about this water that can heal you of leprosy. But he dipped again three, four, five, six times. But from Syria, a young girl's faith becomes engaged. The encouragement of a servant on a chariot becomes engaged. The word of God spoken by a prophet's assistant becomes engaged. And the obedience and the faith of a man to travel all the way from Syria to Israel now is at the climax of the moment. The seventh time, he comes up and his skin is as clean as a newborn baby. Now you can preach all day about being born again and, and coming with all of your stuff and being dipped in the power of the blood of Jesus. And I promise you, you will be reborn. You will be renewed. You will be redeemed. I don't care if your sin stacked up as high as Mount Everest. The power of God engaged in your faith and the obedience and your participation. Wonder what could happen. See, you may be one of these people that are like Naaman in the holiday season. You're hurting and the smile just can't cover it up. It's not about the commercial uh, aspect of it anymore. It's about, it's about that this is the time I remember when I used to be with somebody else and now I'm not with them and maybe they've gone to heaven before you and now this Christmas is going to be different and th then there's those other people that feel alone and it terrifies them and this is a day that they feel one of the most loneliness times of, of the entire year is when everybody else is celebrating, sending out their pictures and Instagram and everybody they don't have anybody to, to do that with I'm going to tell you the same thing that the prophet told Naaman. There's a word for you in this book. It's the power of the Word of God. It's what we build our lives upon. It's the foundation of our soul. It is where we come to when all hell is breaking loose. And this book declares that he is not only closer than a brother, but he will be with you at all times, even to the ends of the earth. You say, well, pastor, I still feel alone. Engage the Word. I've told some of you, but some of you are new. You need to hear this story. One, I mean, I, I'm not a good preacher most of the time. And, and I have problems preaching in the daylight, in lights. Now, one of my first five sermons was at night, Sunday night. My dad was out of town. He said, preach for me. I said, okay, I'm preaching my guts out. A car down the street hit a telephone pole. All the lights in the church went out. It's pitch black dark. Ushers rush together. They've been prepared for moments like this. So they put two lanterns on, you know, get battery-powered lanterns on the lectern, and they turn them on, and they're like, okay, go ahead and finish your sermon. I said, are you kidding me? I don't know. I barely have people paying attention with all the lights on. Now, I got, now I'm up here in the dark, and they're like freaking out, and I don't know what to do. And an 88-year-old woman, she may, I don't, you know, after I tell you this story, Miss Faulkner may still be alive today. I don't know. 88-year-old woman eased her way up to the front. She had memorized the New Testament, by the way. 
She, come up, she knew I was struggling. Holy Spirit said, oh, he can't handle this. You go up there and take care of that boy. And he, she stood up there and she gave her testimony. She said, I'm 88 years old. I've never been married. And she said, but every day at dinner, I sit down at my table. And he sits down on the other side. She said, God has been my husband. Now, she drove until her mid-90s. Like I said, she may still be alive today. She said, I'm 88 years old and I've never been to a doctor. And to my recollection, I've never been sick. She said, every time I thought I was getting sick, my husband healed me. Woo! So, you may not have anybody when you jump up on Christmas Day to be in the living room with you. But I promise you, you are not in that living room by yourself. The same God that was married to Sister Faulkner is in your living room too. Some of you may be like Naaman and you're hurting and you're broken and you just need a miracle. Your miracle can be had today. Maybe you need to get saved. Maybe this is the moment where you dedicate your heart to the Lord. But maybe this holiday season, if you're looking in the right places, looking for the right people, maybe you can be an encourager like these servants. Like, hey man, you got an impossible situation? Send it to me. Come on, City Gate. We, th we always brag about how messy we are. So why don't we, the only reason we brag about it is because we know God that will get in the mess with people. And so when people's lives are falling apart during the holiday times and they seem to bring something up that seems to be impossible, say, hey, you know what? If I measured that against my, the frailty of my humanity, I would be lost too. But let's measure it against the sovereignty of God. Let's have hope and let's pray together. Let, why don't you go to where they know about, they know God instead of just know about Him? Because when you get to the depths of your, your, your crisis, you don't need fast songs and slow songs. You don't need traditional songs and contemporary songs. You don't need a, a sermon. That You need Jesus and nothing else will do. Amen? Maybe you're just one of those encouragers saying, ain't you going to do it? It's right here. Or maybe you are going to be like a prophet during the holiday season. You're going to know enough of the Word of God that in those crisis moments you speak the truth and the hope of God's Word into somebody's life.